welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week we'll be discussing Eileen, Night Swim, The Beekeeper, and Mean Girls. I'm your host, Bill George. With me today, super producer, Craig Stanton. Hello, Bill. How are you? Good, Craig. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. Excellent, excellent. Uh, AJ cannot be with us this week due to scheduling conflicts, but we hope to have him back Next week, looking to do a our final year in review of 2023 uh, very soon. Been teasing that episode for about six weeks now. Yeah, we're gonna get <laughs> it. We're gonna get there. We will get there. Uh, what's new with you? Have you been watching anything lately? I'll tell you what, Bill. The only thing that's new with me is me and my wife got a dog last week. Wow! And so all we talk about is the dog. All yep. we think about is the dog. All you photograph is the dog. Yeah, a lot of photos of the dog for <laughs> sure. Which, to be fair, the dog's adorable. Good-looking dog. It's a good-looking pup, Very. let me tell you. Uh, yep, so the dog's name is Scotty. She's a lovely rescue pit mix little thing, and uh, it's been going great. So Love the, love the rescue storyline. Oh, yeah, you got to love that. Uh, Where's the, is there an interesting uh, origin for the name? Oh, well, when we adopted her, her name was Butterscotch. Butterscotch. And we did not enjoy the idea of having a dog named Butterscotch. So we riffed. Wasn't vibing. We riffed on Butterscotch and we arrived at Scotty. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But do you already have a new nickname? Because people always name their dog and then there ends up being like three layers of nicknames as they oh, shorten well, it. Well, we've or... been doing some long... There's been Scotty the Hottie, Scot- <laughs> Scotty <laughs> oh, too Hottie like the wrestler, uh, Scotty the Body. Okay. All right. Because she's kind of jacked as a lot of pits are. Yeah. Yeah. Muscular dog. I've been doing Scooty recently. <laughs> it's a great Scoot. time. Yeah, that's it's exactly that's time. what always happens. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Good for you. And she likes my wife way more than she likes me. So I'm working on that. Yeah, that's inevitably going to happen. Yeah. So that's the only thing that's new with me. How about you? Uh, not a whole lot. I've been just just watching a lot. Been uh, trying to start the year strong from a should I go see it standpoint. Trying to get to that thousandth review. So just been grinding, grinding, watching everything I can. Uh, that's basically been it. Fantastic. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I've only watched one show recently. Okay. And that show was, I felt like an extension of a conversation that we were having on Should I Go See It, which was about all these various Godzilla movies that have been floating around recently. You know, I sort of only half listen on this program, so maybe it was (laughs) told to me that there are some that are good, there are some that are not so good. Correct. Uh, My impression was that all these new Godzilla properties are all good and worth my time. Uh, Not necessarily the case. So if I got that wrong, then I suppose that that's on me. But what I'm going to say is I watched this Apple TV Plus show called Monarch. It is about Godzilla, Uh nominally, and it was an extremely bad show. <laughs> like so bad, so bad. Uh, and so that's kind of all I got to say about that. I just wanted to yeah. advise our listeners. Don't, don't just think that all this new Godzilla stuff is all worth your time. Cause it ain't now Godzilla minus one is one of the best movies of the year is worth your time. But yeah, that show, uh, I have not seen it. I've seen a couple episodes, but I didn't get into it. I do. I will give them credit though. Sure. Because I love the idea of Wyatt Russell and Kurt Russell playing the same character with time jumping. Like, that's a brilliant concept. Yeah, so brilliant that they pat themselves on the back for it in some way, <laughs> shape, or form in every episode. Like, they make 
sure that you as the viewer know how fucking sick it is <laughs> that they got a father and son to play the same character across the timeline. Like, uh, it's in great. fact, in fact, this isn't even a spoiler because the show sucks is that, uh, Kurt Russell's character, like the timeline of this show is from the mid 1950s to 2014. Okay. And so Wyatt Russell, who is in the mid 1950s, like in his seems to be late twenties. Sure. Yep. Perhaps. Yep. And then now we're in 2016 and Kurt Russell, who's probably in real life, like 70 is supposed to be like 96 (laughs) because if you were 30 in 1955, right? Like this, the numbers, the math just doesn't math. (laughs) So they have to make this whole they make that part of the story. The fact that he's like some amount of years younger looking than he ought to be is like a part of the show that they have to make because they did this weird. So, so they thing. add any throwaway lines about like, you look great for your age type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, well not just that, but it's actually like a plot point that comes around later on. Oh, okay. But okay. the point is, boy, are they proud of themselves for that casting? Holy well, it's shit. a great, it's a good get. It's a good get <laughs> to do that. Yeah, bad show. Speaking of Godzilla Minus One, I just read that they are putting it back in theaters in the U.S. for the end of January in a black and white remastered version, which sounds kind of sick. And instead of Godzilla Minus One, it's Godzilla Minus Color. And it's back in theaters for a limited time. That name I could do without. But, But I mean, I legit would go see it again to see the black and white version. I would. All right. Well, give me the invite. I mean, I'm down for all the monster shit. I'm down for Godzilla. But I, uh, yeah, I just, Monarch was not it. All right. We'll get get to it. All right. Well, shall we move on to in the news? Yeah. What's in the news? I'll tell you what's in the news, Bill. And that is award season. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Golden Globes and the Emmys were both held over the last couple weeks. Did you get a chance to watch either broadcast of the Golden Globes or the Emmys? And what were your major takeaways? I'll start with the Emmys because I didn't watch them, so I don't have a lot to say about it. Uh, I don't usually watch the Emmys. I don't usually watch the Golden Globes either. I really only care about the Academy Awards. Emmys are for television specifically, and from what I gathered... Every drama award went to Succession, every comedy award went to The Bear, and every limited series award went to Beef from Netflix. Uh, so it sounds like, from an award standpoint, it's a fairly boring broadcast. Uh, and from what I understand, nothing really crazy happened, and it was just pretty run-of-the-mill award show fodder. So yeah, Emmy's kind of whatever for me. The Golden Globes, I did end up watching, even though I didn't plan to. I just I, I threw it on, and I just, just ended up sticking with it. The host, uh, Joe Coy, yeah, was abhorrent at his job. Just an abysmal, worst case scenario hosting job. That is basically the only story I heard coming out of the Globes was that Joe Coy, someone who I had never heard of, who I just had to Google about 15 seconds ago, uh, and I've never seen this man <laughs> yeah. in my life. Uh, Neither I've, had I. I've heard that this fella did not exactly deliver. Not good. And so that one ended up being the story of the night, which takes me once again back to my standard award show discussion here, which is I... You know, I have it from a previous episode. I'll just (laughs) just just drop it in. in. There should be no host. They All they need to do, do a nice classy montage to open the show, reviewing the year, and then the PA announcer says, here to present our first award, so-and-so and so-and-so. And And let's, let's go from there. PA takes over and just announce the presenters. You don't need a host. Additionally... I agree with you. I mostly don't care about this, but to the extent that I do care, I agree with you. I'd be fine to get rid of the host. But you can also, 
if you wanted to like bring some levity and like get the crowd going at first, you can just have a person, a comedian, presumably, just do a tight five as an introductory thing, and then they never come back. Yeah, they don't have to ho- They don't have to be a host. They can just do five minutes of, of movie and celebrity based humor right. and then say, okay, Nate Bregazzi, see you later. Then he just goes to the bar. <laughs> like, yeah, that's yeah. fine. Why not? That would, you know. Yeah. Once, once the wheels are in motion, you're just bringing up presenter after presenter. You don't need a host for anything. Right. Uh, and you can also add levity through the presenters. So like if, if they do uh, a good bit, the presenters can keep the levity there. Like Carrie Russell and Ray Romano did a hilarious bit during the Golden Globes when they mm-hmm. announced and it was great. And Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig did one that was pretty funny as well. So you can bring in levity in other ways if you have. And it's not a funeral. You don't have to like bring levity. Like you know, it's like it's a it's a joyous occasion. It's an award show. Yeah, you know, I'm not yeah, saying that yeah. you need to like break the tension or anything. But yeah. as far as the awards themselves for the Golden Globes, uh, which celebrate both movies and television, and within those they do subcategories of comedy and drama. So there's a ton of awards to give out. Yeah. Overall. I was actually really happy with all the awards that were given out, particularly Christopher Nolan getting his first Best Director and and Oppenheimer getting Best Picture, his first Best Picture. Obviously happy for him as my favorite director working today. Um, But all the awards I thought were were good. The only one I I quibble with a little bit was Best Actress. I thought Lily Gladstone in Killers of the Flower Moon was fantastic. No argument. Uh, She's in the discussion. But... I thought Greta Lee in Past Lives was slightly better, and I thought that she carried her movie versus Lily Gladstone is kind of written off as, like, sick in bed for a third of the runtime of Killers of the Flower Moon. Like, she's just off screen versus Greta Lee is in every scene and carries it. So I personally would have given it to Greta Lee, but I'm not I'm not mad about Gladstone winning. It's just He's not mad. that would be my only preference. He's not mad. Otherwise, every winner I felt real good about. So... I do think the Academy Awards are going to be easy to predict. I think it's going to be pretty straightforward. I think the Golden Globes, like since the Golden Globes already hit on everything that was predicted, I think the Oscars probably will too. Um, but yeah, I, again, award shows, not usually my my cup of tea, uh, but I did end up watching the Globes. <laughs> yeah, not your cup of tea, except you always watch them and have commentary. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't always watch the Globes. I did not watch the Globes or Emmys last year. I just watched the Oscars. And even then, it's Understood. it's under duress. But yeah. um, All right. Well, that's pretty much all for our In the News segment. Shall we move on to the movies this week? Let's. All right. Well, our first film is called Eileen. Description, according to IMDb.com, is a woman's friendship with a new coworker at the prison facility where she works takes a sinister turn. Bill, should I go see Eileen? Uh, yes, I gave it a yes. Uh, so, as you described, this movie uh, in, is at a prison. It's actually set in 1960s Massachusetts. Oh, so there's some New England, some New England vibes and discussion of New England itself that resonated with me. Uh, Thomas and Mackenzie stars in it. She's fantastic. She's always great. And so she works at a prison as a secretary and then a new hotshot psychologist from New York City that went to Harvard shows up, played by Anne Hathaway, who's a delight as usual. National treasure. God damn. Uh, And the two of them start working together and they get close and then sort of drama ensues. And I really 
don't do they do s- weird sex stuff? I'm the trailer <laughs> makes it seem like they're doing a lot of weird sex stuff. Look, I don't want to get into the details. I will say that when the movie gets to the third act, oh man, what a shift! And it and <laughs> like no spoilers, but you have like I said yes basically because there's just like this moment in the movie that comes out of nowhere that is worth watching just for that. And it's only a ninety minute movie, so it's like it's lean and mean. Love it. So if you're looking to like watch a shorter movie and you're trying to squeeze in a good story, good performances, but you don't want to sit down for a two and a half hour epic, uh, this is a good one. It's it's really well done. It's really well directed. There's also a few little flashes of Eileen's imagination that they show without any indicator that's her imagination. And then there's like a smash cut after something crazy happens and you realize that it was like in her head. Mm. So there's like these little flourishes of direction that I thought were really good and kind of keep it fresh and interesting. Um, it's great. It's, it's a, it's a great little drama. It's a little on the slower side again, till you get to that third act, but, um, but I really enjoyed it. I thought they did a nice job with time and place and I thought the performances were all great and yeah, a little, little drama, which you don't see very often. Just nice little, nice little talkie. I got, you got to love that. And this is a full on theatrical release. Uh, yeah, it is out of theaters now. It was in limited release, uh, but it is our, it's already available for a rental and purchase on iTunes. I'm not sure if it is streaming elsewhere yet. Fantastic. All right. Well, we'll keep that in the back of our mind. Can't go wrong with Anne Hathaway. Has she ever made a bad movie? Name me a bad Anne Hathaway movie. Uh, if AJ were here, he would say The Dark Knight Rises because he doesn't like that one. <laughs> oh, give me a break. But uh, off the top of my head, I don't, I don't know. I can't think of Hathaway in something that I didn't like. I feel like she has a good uh, sense of things that suck and things that don't. Uh, and she only does the ones that don't. Yeah. I'd have to pull up IMDb, which I'm not going to do right now, but I'm sure, uh, I'm sure her, her batting average is high. Feels it. All right. Eileen, we hardly knew you. <laughs> Moving, on. <laughs> Moving on again. I don't want to get too far into that one. It's, it's, it's best to go in fresh. Like I did. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. All right. Let's move on to night swim. Uh, a family moves into a new home, unaware. This is so fucking stupid. Unaware <laughs> that a dark secret from the house's past will unleash a malevolent force in the backyard pool. Bill, should I go see Night Swim? No. All right. Next movie is <laughs> no. called The Beekeeper. No, no. There's stuff to talk about with Night Swim. So. The elevator pitch, as you alluded to, is haunted swimming pool. <laughs> that's so that's the concept. So stupid. Um, but I know I thought the concept is kind of clever. It lets the filmmakers play around with some neat suspense sequences. I mean, I grew up with an in-ground pool, and I thought they did a great job putting you <laughs> in that feeling, that vibe of the backyard pool. You know what I mean? I, do, I did not have an in-ground pool or any sort of pool for that matter. So I don't know if I do know what you mean, but I, I had friends with pools and yeah. you know, we were vibing back there. But the other, so the other interesting story element here is that the father played by Wyatt Russell previously discussed. Love it. Uh, hey buddy. He is a former baseball star who's recently diagnosed with MS and he's trying to stay as healthy as possible. And part of the reason they pick that house because the opening uh, is them buying a so house. He they swim pick the because the he can do water therapy and things like that. And the pool starts to help him and he starts to feel a lot better. But it's like a Rachel Ghoul Lazarus pit situation, if you understand the, the Batman reference, uh, where he also starts to get a little crazy. I do not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was a deep cut, but still. Uh, 
So yeah, so he's in it. He's good. I always like Wyatt Russell. I think he's great. And his wife is played by Carrie Condon. She's phenomenal. She actually carries the movie. The child actors are pretty good. Like the talent involved is good. The filmmaking is good. The problem is it's PG-13, which means all the scenes are kind of tepid and lame. They never take it as far as it needs to be taken to add intensity. And the writing also completely falls apart by the third act. Like the finale sequence is the end of every horror movie you've ever seen in the last 10 years. It's just annoying. So it's not a theater watch, but maybe late at night, HBO, got some popcorn on the couch, like turn off the lights, throw it on. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll get something out of it. Sure. 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 I'll say that the, the trailers for this one, uh, they got me a little bit. I, as we've discussed in the past, I'm easily scared. I do yeah, not enjoy scary movies. <laughs> right? When you said, you know, it ends the way that any horror movie in the last 10 years has ended, I thought to myself, well, I haven't seen any horror movies in the last 10 years, so maybe I should watch this one. Yeah. Well, what that means is just there's a lot of... When it, it stops being suspenseful and it starts just being a lot of, like, running around screaming, high-volume music, and just, like, chaos. Yeah. Well, you know... um, Shout out to all the teens who are going to have to, you know, really summon the courage to get back in the pool this spring and summer. Yeah, I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's a, a Jaws level situation where it scares <laughs> people out of doing it. Although I do think that's kind of a good idea, taking something, some somewhat common household thing. This is kind of like the, uh, what were those movies? Not The Conjurings, but the ones where they have like- Annabelle? No, 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 no. Uh, like demons, uh, like security cam footage in people's bedrooms where they're like levitating and stuff. What's that? Paranormal activity. Paranormal activity. Sort of like that, like taking kind of humdrum household stuff and making it really scary is kind of a interesting approach. Yeah. Like it would be funny to make, it would be good to make a movie about like a fucking haunted microwave or something. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> sure. fucking shit up. So every time someone walks into their kitchen, they just like side eye the microwave to make sure they're not going to get murdered. <laughs> I don't know. I, I see what they're going for, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, apparently they did not hit the target. Okay. No. Moving on to Beekeeper. The Beekeeper. Yeah. Excuse yep. me. Uh, one man's brutal campaign for vengeance takes on national stakes. This is not a regional situation. <laughs> national, national stakes. After he is revealed to be a former operative of a powerful and clandestine organization known as, quote, Beekeepers, end quote. Bill, should I go see Jason Statham's The Beekeeper? No. And that's coming from someone who, like, big, dumb, super spy action movies are my specialty. You like, do like that shit. You do like that shit. I'm still a 15-year-old kid at heart watching Mission Impossible 2 in the theaters and thinking it's the coolest thing ever. Like, I still have that. Chasing that feeling every day. <laughs> yeah. So knowing that, uh, I I still felt nothing for this movie. It's, it's dumb in a bad way, not dumb in a fun way. Uh, it plays itself... Far too seriously, given how unrealistic it is. Like you are, you got to go either like silly across the board and kind of lean into it, or you got to rewrite the movie for more realism if you're going to try to play it straight. And it does neither. It's he's his, you know, he's retired. He's a retired secret agent. He's basically playing himself, Jason Statham, as usual. Uh, and then he comes out of retirement for one last underground criminal enterprise he wants to bury because they hurt someone close to him. And he has to, quote, unquote, protect the hive. That's like, that's the motif of the beekeepers. Oh, God. Yeah. And, you know, I like Statham. I think usually he's also, good. Also, if their job was to protect the hive, wouldn't they just be bees? <laughs> <laughs> or that would be protect the queen, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> the bees for the queen, the beekeeper for the hive. Yeah, we yeah, gotta exactly. make that honey. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. But I think Statham is at his best when he has like co-stars to bounce off of, like fun co-stars. Or if it's a good, well-written movie, he can do well. This movie has neither of those things, so uh, not great. It opens though with him attacking <laughs> cyber criminals, which I appreciated. Thought that was an interesting setup. Why do you, why? Because uh, I don't think it's a, like usually the bad guys in these movies is like the Russian mob or the Albanian mafia or whatever. So the fact that it was cyber criminals who are scamming elderly people out of their money and and he ends up going after them as like the criminal uh, enterprise. Understood. At first, the plot escalates out of control, as you mentioned, national stakes. But at first, it starts as that, which is cool. It's also a sneaky Massachusetts movie. Uh takes place there there are scenes in quote-unquote springfield which every shot they showed i was like i don't think this is actually springfield i think they just needed a rural name to pick and they just picked it out of a hat you'd know better than me man and then they have boston stuff which is basically just exterior shots of boston because the rest is on a set clearly yeah, which was actually lowell stuff <laughs> no but it was what was cool is that the skyline helicopter shots of boston they use cg to add labels to the sides of the building so like john hancock tower or Clarendon, or whatever they call it these days, you fly by and it says, like, Danforth Enterprises on the side of it. Uh, it was pretty slick. They did a pretty slick job of that. Wait, as to avoid, like, copyright problems or something? No, to set the scene for the movie to say, like, this is the headquarters of this company that we're about to, we're about oh, to do oh, an interior oh, you of. recognize it as... John Hancock, because they know what that building looks like. But then they slap on a digital... Understood. Uh, ...signage on the side of it. And they do a pretty good job. It's kind of it's, it's slick. Okay, so that well, was if fun. that's the best part of the movie, then we've got a real piece of shit. Yeah, it's that bad that I'm like hunting around looking at this stuff and it's catching my attention because the rest of the movie is just so uninteresting. Yeah, the, the prose side of the notebook is uh, not filled up. <laughs> no, um, not, not much to speak to here positively. Just what was the last good movie Jason Statham did? We had this, this is the inverse of the Anne Hathaway question. Um, I feel like he only does shit movies. Wrong? I would say he mostly does shit movies. Okay, that's his specialty. <laughs> Just <laughs> not he, his exclusive. Well, I'm trying to think. Now I feel like I need to bring up IMDb or else I'm not going to know. He, I mean, back in the day, he did a lot of smaller stuff that was great. Um, things like, uh, I think he's in Snatch. Um, yes. Like older stuff like that. Yeah, but that was before he was like Jason fucking became Statham. He, before he became Jason Statham. Um, let me see. Let me see. Okay, yeah, these are mostly all bad. You're right. Feels like feels like this is like uh, feels to me like a standard Statham Statham modern Statham film is action comedy where he plays like the straight guy, and there's some comic relief type acting opposite him. You know. Yeah, the problem is this movie doesn't have right. This seems like it's only half that equation, so it's just the just the cheesy action. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, I'm looking at this list. There's not a lot that stands out to me, so maybe you're right. I but even so, in the bad projects he's in, I tend to like him. Sure, that's the classic Dwayne the Rock Johnson conundrum. It it is big time, big time. Well, for all for our purposes, we can think of Jason Statham as the opposite of Anne Hathaway. Yep, perfect. In so many ways, connection. All right, let's move on to our last movie of this episode, and that is Mean Girls 2024. Uh, Okay. IMDb describes it thusly. Katie, right? Katie Heron. I know that this is like part of the movie. Part of the joke is I know, I know. I'm remembering that it's the part of it, Caddy and Katie, but then I just like got myself all screwed up. It is Katie, Katie, right? Yeah. Katie Heron 
is a hit with the plastics, an A-list girl click at her new school. But everything changes when she makes the mistake of falling for Aaron Samuels, the ex-boyfriend of the alpha plastic Regina George. Bill, should I go see it? And any relation? Uh, no, but if I have a daughter, I feel like I have to name her Regina, right? Like, <laughs> just setting her up for life. Uh, no, I gave the movie a no, and but there's 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 a lot to dig into here because this is the movie adaptation of the musical, which was an adaptation of the movie, which was an adaptation of the book. Oh shit! I didn't know there was a book. There was a book. So Tina Fey wrote the screenplay based on a book, which became a movie, which became a Broadway musical, which has now become a musical movie. Oh my God, we got like a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Yeah, and it feels Jeez. that way. That's the issue. It's just you run that Xerox over and over again, it just starts to fade, you know? It's like that situation. <laughs> uh, because part of the issue is that original movie. So I went back after I watched this. I hadn't seen the original Mean Girls in a decade or two. Like, I remember when it came out, it was great. I certainly know all the big lines from it because it has become ubiquitous in pop culture. Yeah, yeah. But I hadn't watched it. So I went into Mean Girls, the musical, fresh. I'd never seen the musical either, so this was like kind of all fresh. And then after I saw this, I went back and rewatched the original movie to Wait see like what I'm holds sorry. up. I'm sorry. We got to clarify our naming. We've got the original. And when you say the musical, do you mean this movie or the actual musical that happened in real life? No, I had never seen or heard Mean Girls the musical. Broadway show. The songs. Heard. Yes. I was unfamiliar. I knew it existed, but I never uh, heard I any you. of okay. it. Okay. Sorry if that was obvious, listeners. It was not obvious to me. <laughs> so... Then I saw this, which basically combines those things. Uh, and then I went back and I rewatched the 2004. Wait, I have to Mean stop Girls. you again. When you say it combines them, does it actually, or is it? Did they change anything about the Broadway show to your knowledge, like, or is it just the Broadway show film? It's well, it's not filmed. It's not like filmed on stage, so to speak. No, no, no. I know that, but like when you say combined, like you just what I mean like, is they have taken the <laughs> script. And this is part of the issue. This is part of the issue. I haven't seen the musical in Broadway form, uh, yeah, so I yeah, can't yeah, speak yeah, that directly. I, I know they cut some songs for time, but otherwise, the music is the same. But the whole point and the issue with this movie is the movie parts of it, I thought that they would do like their own version of Mean Girls or like a twist on it, but then echo back some of the key points. No, it's literally like verbatim the same script of the original 2004 movie. They just added songs to it. So the issue with this movie is the music I actually thought was pretty good. This is the first time I was hearing the music from the musical, and I actually thought the musical parts were the best part of the movie. They were fresh. They were interesting. They were, they were good. The staging was kind of goofy, but that comes with the territory. And the singers were great. And I thought the music was good. The problem is the movie around the music was A, not that good, and then B, having now gone back and rewatched the original, I realized that they didn't change anything. They just literally retold the same thing but in a not as good way. Uh, and when you think about the fact that the original movie was a 90-minute comedy in the early 2000s, adding all that music made this movie 20 minutes longer. This is almost two hours long because of all the songs. And so the second act just drags. Like, this movie kept going, and I was like, are we still in this? Like, what is happening right now? Because I remember the original being light on its feet. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there were a couple good laughs, and mostly stuff from Tim Meadows and Tina Fey. They were great in it. Uh, but even some of the stuff I laughed the hardest at, when I went back and watched the 04 movie, I was like, oh, this was this joke was in this. This was from that. Like, none of it had any originality. And I understand that, I guess, is part of the point. Is like, this is just, we wanted to encapsulate the musical into movie form. 
Because that wouldn't bother you if you were seeing it on Broadway. You would be like, oh, yeah. Right. Because the format is different enough that the script can be the same. But it's in a different context. There's enough different stuff happening that it wouldn't be a And problem. that's the whole thing that. is that is lately new musicals. That's their bread and butter. Like Beetlejuice the musical and Mean Girls the musical. Like they're taking old properties, making them into musical form. And when you go to see it on Broadway, there's nods and references to the original material. And that's part of the fun. But then when you put it back into the medium of the original for direct comparison, it suffers because of that. Right, right, right. So right, the right. actual movie, anytime the music stopped and they had to act, the movie just completely fell apart. It was not funny. Uh, it was tough. It, it was tough. And I saw it on opening night where the crowd was like, at certain parts, they were like really into the songs. But during the non-musical parts, it was crickets. And like, that's tough if that's like your key audience, if they couldn't get behind it either. And they also added the use of technology that I despised. I mean, part of what made that movie timeless and that lets that first one hold up is it's in that sweet spot of technology where like it's kind of there, but it's not a factor versus this movie has to now adapt to today. So there's montages of TikToks and stuff going viral and like it instantly dates the movie to now and the timelessness is going to go away for this version versus the 04. You're still going to be able to watch 10 years from now and love. Yeah, because that was in the... We had the we had calling and texting and cell phones, but we just didn't have social media yet. Right. So there was no like, I saw his Instagram post. It was just like, I call this person, I text this person, meet me here, meet me there, that kind of right. thing. Right. So it so again rewatching the the O four one, I realized how good it was, how timeless it was, why it's it's so popular, and this one just suffers by comparison big time. So in summary, the the movie is classic for a reason, and the musical seemingly was very successful, but they should have stayed separate. Like, there's no value gained by recombining them into a new movie form, I would argue. Yeah. I could have told you that, I feel <laughs> yeah. like, going in, but, you know, hey, <laughs> you watch them so we don't have to. But, but hey, the, positive, the positives of it is now, I, again, I had no familiarity with the Broadway music, and now I've, you know downloaded and listened to the original cast recording as well as the movie soundtrack. And so now I have some, some new musical music to listen to that I dig. So that's fine. Good introduction to that. But, uh, yeah, man, if I had a nickel for every time I left a movie and said, man, I just wish that was a musical <laughs> I'd have, you know, <laughs> I'd have no nickels, Bill. I had no nickels. I've never thought that in my entire yeah. life. Yeah, should have kept it. Uh, should have kept them. Kept them apart in this case. But you're saying the songs were good. You liked. You dig. You d you dug the. I did. I did like the music. I did like the music. It was pretty good. Fascinating. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. Criminal underuse of John Hamm. I'll tell you that. Oh yeah. He John Hamm is like in the trailer multiple times, but he's that's those those lines he says in the trailer are basically his only lines in the entire movie, which was a total bummer. And no songs in the trailer. We discussed this with Wonka that they're 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 like uh, hiding their true nature. As a marketing Yeah, strategy. they're not. They have the little music note in the A of the graphic logo or whatever. But otherwise, there's no indication that it's a musical. And I've now seen videos of people like recording in the theater where one of the characters breaks in a song and the entire audience like groans because they just they didn't know it was a musical. They don't want it to be a musical. And like, that's not a good way. It's to such a <laughs> short sighted, like such a short sighted strategy. It's like, we're going to make a movie in a genre no <laughs> one likes. So to get people into the theater, <laughs> yeah. we're going to mislead them into thinking that it is not in that genre 
only yeah. to find out that it is, in fact, the genre they don't like. And we're going to just fucking surprise them once they've already bought the ticket. It's like such a... It's like, bad. So whack. Like, lean into it. Like, get all the those musical fanatics to bring their friends and, like, lean into that side of it. Instead, you have, I'm sure, a bunch of people being like, oh, cool, they're rebooting Mean Girls for my generation. I'm going to go check it out. And then, boom, you're hit with song and dance numbers out of the gate. Yeah, right. Or, like, if you're concerned about the popularity of musicals, then just don't make a musical. Like, just do something else. Like, who is, like, holding a gun to your head, Tina Fey, and saying, make this musical into a movie? I don't know. It's a great question. But that's where we are with Mean Girls. That's where we are with Mean Girls. It is a good... that You're right about the time period, too, because it is a good... It was a good time for technology in the sense that other than like the phones themselves are like dated, obviously, like the actual things they hold in their hands. But the things that they're doing with the technology that they have, whether it's like a, a scene or so with a cell phone or a computer is like still things we do today, just nothing that we don't do anymore. With the exception of landlines, but like people still talk on the phone. Like, so it's not like a weird esoteric tech thing that no longer happens, you know? Yeah, that that's the issue is once you get into very specific technology of a certain time frame, it just dates the movie and it's it's hard to go back versus right, right. those late nineties, early two thousands are still timeless for that reason. Anyways, Bill, Netflix and Bill, what are we watching? Talk to me. A couple movies that I reviewed but are streamer originals, so we'll we'll put them in this category. One is Society We're counting them. We're counting yeah, them all. One is Society of the Snow. Bill watches a fucking long commercial on YouTube or something. He's counting that as a movie. <laughs> sure, why not? Chalk it we're up. Getting Chalk to, it up. We're getting to 1,000. Uh, Society of the Snow on Netflix. If you're familiar with the, I think it was 90s movie, Alive, this is a retelling of that same true story. So this is a 1972 rugby team from Uruguay. Their plane crashes in the Andes, and they have to survive. Uh, and so... I remember seeing that movie alive uh, and thinking it was fine. I don't really remember that much about it. But this new version is is harrowing. I mean, it's it's two hours and twenty minutes, and it is uh, it can be tough to watch. I mean, it's it's a very intense story. Uh, I mean, it's and it's a true story, so it's it's riveting from that perspective. You know, the major thing to keep in mind, and the like, the main thing that comes up about this story is the cannibalism because they had to eat the the flesh if you will of their fallen comrades to be able to survive the winter because the, eventually the the search and rescue gets called off because it's they're not going to be able to get to them until the thaw of the spring so they end up there for a long time and they were going to die because they didn't have food so they ended up finding ways to to eat the people that passed away from from natural causes it's not like a lord of the flies like killing each other situation it's just trying to survive and so they have that in there. It's not super gruesome, but I mean, it's it's real. They make it as real as possible. It's probably not ungruesome. Exactly. And then there's a couple setbacks that occur, as you would imagine, throughout the process. I mean, it's a straight up survival more movie. There's no, the thing I appreciated about it is they didn't have all these conversations about like, what are you going to do when you get back? Or like cross-cutting to people trying to find them or cross-cutting to flashbacks of their life. They don't have any of that. Like this is you with them in the crash plane for two and a half hours, like trying to get through it and them talking it out and figuring out their thought. You process. said they called off the search Did the, does the cast, does the characters know that? Or that's just something that we, the audience, they know. do know that because someone in their luggage had a radio and they're able to like 
get some intel. Uh, I don't know if that part's true or if that's for storytelling purposes. I don't know if that if they had a radio in the actual event, but gotcha. either gotcha. way, that's how it happens in the in the movie. And yeah, I mean, it's really good as far as survival movies go. It's so no worried wives at home, no kids being like, "When's daddy gonna get back?" No, no none that of that shit. nonsense. It's gotcha. um, reminiscent of Castaway in that regard. You're just kind of with with them. Um, so it's really, really well done. It's really, really well acted, incredibly well executed. It's a lot. Again, two hours, 20 minutes of like pure misery is, is a lot to take in, but it's also a triumphant story of, of, you know, survival. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. Really well done. Love it. Uh, and then I also watched self-reliance, which is a Hulu movie. It was actually showing in theaters one night only. So I did get to see it in theaters. As uh, Jake Johnson wrote and directed and starred in it. Love Jake Johnson, Nick from New Girl, yep. for those that don't know the name. Uh, Anna Kendrick is in it as well. She's always fabulous. And the movie itself is, it's interesting. He is, ca- I was, shouldn't say captured. He is, Andy Sandberg pulls up in a limo and invites <laughs> Jake Johnson's character in. Uh, and then he's told that, if he wants to be, he can be part of this like dark web reality show where hunters will try to kill him. And if he stays alive for 30 days, he wins a million dollars or whatever it is. Uh, but the loophole, so to speak, is because he says, I don't want to do it because I don't want to endanger the people around me. And they said, well, if you're directly like with somebody, they're not going to attack you. Like They'll wait till you're alone. So then he decides, well, as long as I can stay with somebody for 30 days, I'll be fine and we'll win a bunch of money. So he then tries to find people to stay with him who are willing to like stay with him. Eventually he finds Anna Kendrick who's also playing. So they stay together. Um, it's funny. Can there only be one winner? Uh, no, they don't, they don't specify that necessarily okay. that I recall. So it's not a, like a hunger game situation in that, in that way. Uh, I think whoever survives basically wins. So it's interesting. It's funny. There's, there's some, it's, it's a larger metaphor for, relationships and dependency and there's some really interesting insight and sort of comedic value in in that when he touches on that but then there are other parts where the comedy doesn't really quite work or there's also it hits a lot of the same beats over and over again um for the runtime so like it's a mixed bag i think i gave it i gave it a yes like a soft yes uh again if you're gonna catch it on hulu that makes a lot more sense if it was in theaters i don't know um it's good not great but yeah the the parts where they are the, the middle act, actually, when he's with Anna Kendrick and they're kind of doing a little more digging into the metaphor of, of codependency and relationships is a lot more interesting versus when it gets to the end, it gets a little crazy and over the top. So, yeah, overall, pretty good. Sure. Just wish it had some musical numbers. Classic. Sure. Throw. Yeah. Why not? Criticism. Uh, and then I also watched Euphoria. I'm completely caught up on Euphoria. Okay. Can I just ask a question about this? There's nothing new about Euphoria. Is there a new season or something? You're just going back. This is me catching up on a show that everyone told me I had to watch. Okay. So now that we're in the... Talk to us about Euphoria. Yes. Kind of... We're in the tougher movie season right now for what comes out. So I decided finally I would go back and and watch Euphoria. Burn through it. Both seasons in a couple days uh, or a week or so. And it's really, really good. I'd say season one is a lot better than season two, but both are excellent. The craft of the show is undeniable. The performances are incredible. I just think the story I liked more in season one than two. And season three, I believe, comes out not this year, but next year from what I understand. But if you were also on the fence about Euphoria, I would push you to the other side of it and say, give it a watch. 
get in there. Teens, teening, having problems, doing drugs. Uh, what do we? That's my impression of it from a distance. As I watched it, all I did was thank God I grew up when I did because it's terrifying. <laughs> the idea of being in high school now is just horrifying to me, at least in the version depicted in this show. Sure. The incredibly hot yeah. version. <laughs> this is what made season one so much better is because the depiction of high school in the way that it does it, I've I'd never seen before. So it was like fresh and interesting. Season two, they start to add in some storylines about drug dealers and there's a gunfight and like all the stuff that I've seen a million times. You know what I mean? It's, it's not doing anything new versus season one was doing something new. So that's why I kind of give the edge to season one. But again, great show. Worth watching. Overall, we're fans of Euphoria. Yeah, big time. Love that. Uh, Here's a show that is just being absolutely ruthlessly advertised to me. I feel like the second I open my eyes in the morning, it's fucking Marvel Studios presents Echo. So for the love of God, tell me about fucking Echo. (laughs) It's a uh, five episode miniseries for now, at least. And it follows the character Echo, which was introduced in Daredevil, I believe, was introduced. The Daredevil show on Netflix before it was purchased by or moved over to Disney Plus when they bought Marvel. So Echo, I believe, was introduced in Daredevil. Definitely shows up again in the Disney Plus show Hawkeye. So Echo has been like this minor character that's popped up. And now they gave Echo her own show for five episodes. And her antagonist is Kingpin also depicted in Daredevil and Hawkeye. And Spider-Man? Played by Vincent D'Onofrio. What's that? Isn't that also the bad in Spider-Man, the animated Spider-Mans? The dude with the... In the animated Spider-Mans, yes. He's got the big guy with a little head? Yes. Gotcha. Uh, but he's played by Vincent D'Onofrio fantastically, as he as he did in the Daredevil show. He's great in this as well. What's um, Echo's deal? What's her, what's her thing? Is it like a... She's like a dolphin? Or <laughs> like, what's the... <laughs> It's not, it's not a Sega Genesis video game from the 90s, no. Uh, that would be sick, though, if they made Echo the Dolphin. Uh, she is a uh, of Native American descent, and this show kind of really digs into her ancestry a little bit more. She's also deaf. Um, there it is. And she also is amputated from the knee down on her right leg. She's got a lot going on. Yeah, which I don't think they ever explain that. I think that's just part of who she is. I don't think there's like, they don't make a plot point about it or anything that I could tell. Um, so yeah, from, from a representation standpoint, really cool. Glad she's getting her own show. She's really good. A lot going on. The Most of the show is in sign language with subtitles, which is also neat. Like you don't see that very often, uh, if ever. And some of the action's pretty good. There's a couple of decent fight scenes, pretty, pretty well choreographed. She fights Daredevil in the first episode. That's sick um, to see, you know, uh, forget the actor's name. Cox is the last name. Ben Affleck. No, not in this one. <laughs> he shows up as Matt uh, Murdock slash Daredevil and they fight. That was cool. But yeah, overall, I didn't love the show, to be honest. Uh, didn't love it, but there's some decent sequences in it. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, um, but if you're going to watch it, it's better than some of the other stuff you would have seen on Disney+, Plus. so I guess there's that. If you fi- feel like submitting to the absolutely relentless in what I can only assume is billions of dollar advertising budget, <laughs> yes, then uh, I guess go right ahead. I've heard it advertised on podcasts. Yeah, me too. That's mostly why I'm getting ha- hammered with it because like every fucking podcast, I feel like it's, I hear the same Amazon Echo ad. I'm sorry. 
Marvel Echo Ed. Visual media being advertised on an audio medium. I don't know. I don't know. Some spreadsheet somewhere says to do it, I guess. Yeah, they're trying everything. Um, all right. I'm ready for our last one. True Detective Night Country. Let's talk about it. New season of True Detective. This would be season four in this case. Jodie Foster starring. I think it's her first time really doing TV, uh, which tells you something. It's got to be good if she's going to jump in on board. And at the first, there's only been one episode so far. I would say it's pretty good. It's the first episode, so it's tough because they have to do a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of character introductions, a lot of backstory, a lot of setup. So it doesn't, there's not a lot of flow to it. It's kind of just like info dumping for you. But it does set up the mystery of the season and it introduces you to everybody. Jodie Foster, great, as you would expect from an A-list actress. And uh, yeah, I'll keep watching it for sure. We'll see if it if it can hit the heights of well season one. The heights of season one are very high, so that that would be a high bar. Season two's trash. Season three was pretty good. Hoping it's at least season three level, uh, and we'll we'll see where it goes. But what's has Jodie Foster really never done TV before? That's like a wild thing to just throw out there. I don't remember seeing her committed to a TV show. She's been a working actress for like fucking forty years. Like what the fuck? I know, but I think that she comes from the old school of like TV lesser than film. Silver screen or bust. But now HBO, you know, has, has won her over. Every, everyone's got a price, Phil. <laughs> that, that's that's a fact. What's what the, the hook for this one, the reason it's called Night Country and sort of the, the main ploy is it takes place in Alaska where it is you know, 24 hours dark for half the year and 24 hours light half the year type of thing. And in this instance, as you can imagine, it's dark. So ah, I see that is the, the major premise. Gotcha. And there's a research station and then something happens there and the, everyone on the research station goes missing and Jodie Foster has to investigate. I love it. Well, let us know how that goes. That's an HBO thing. So it's a weekly Sunday nights on HBO. Love it. Bill yep. will be at the water cooler promptly on monday morning right ready to, talk to about chat it. whoever is uh whoever's there yep we'll hear about night country all right and what is on the docket coming up soon later today as of this recording i am watching oh iss or international space station which i am stoked for yes you teased this movie a couple weeks ago i believe but refresh our memory i'm so excited it it takes place in the iss where the Russians and the Americans are working together as they do, but then you look out the window, so to speak, and down on uh, down on Earth is whoops warfare, just ex- nuclear explosions, shits going down. They get like messages from the ground saying like take the station, and then it goes dark, and they can't communicate with the ground. So there's clearly a war going on. They don't know who started it. They don't know what's going on, and now tensions on the ISS start to rise, and they like it becomes like a drama. Yeah, that that would get that would get me going. So say what? It sounds awesome. Uh, I hope it is. I don't know if it will be, but I hope it is because uh, this is like right up my alley, just right in my strike zone. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited mm-hmm. for that. And then I also have tickets to see two movies from last year that count as part of like last year's awards and all that stuff, but they were in limited release when they came out and only now are they going wide release. So I'm finally going to be able to watch all of us strangers and zone of interest, uh, which were both uh, heavily, highly acclaimed movies of 2023 that I can finally now catch up on. So I'm going to watch those as well. Uh, They just came out on streaming. You said not on streaming, like in theaters wide. Like it was one of those things where they came out as like New York and LA only type of thing. 
and then they did well and got critical critical acclaim and nominated for awards. So now they're playing at wider release. So they're zone in theaters near interest. me finally to see all of us strangers in Zone of Interest. Sure, sure. I have not heard of either of these movies, but I'm sure they're uh, sure they're worth it. Well, Zone of Interest was the only Golden Globe drama nominee that I had not seen. It was the only movie of like the 10 plus nominees in either category. It was the only one I hadn't seen. So I'm excited to finally mm-hmm. cross it off the list. Interesting. But that's what's coming up. It's going to be, there's going to be a lot in the next few months as we work to the, towards that thousandth review. It's going to be a lot of grinding and a lot of reviews. So stay tuned. I'm excited. So thank you for listening to the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It. 